0: have everyone here so hey my name is Randy Givens uh, equity research analyst for shipping maritime at Jefferies today's panel we have five of the top executives and one of the most exciting and, and definitely headline worthy uh, sectors right now dry bulk shipping so on today's panel let's see uh, this we have uh, mr. Gary Vogel CEO and director of Eagle bulk shipping John Wobensmith, CEO of Jenco shipping Robert Bugby, president of Scorpio Balkers, Paulus CEO of Safe Balkers, and Stamatis Antanas, chairman and CEO of Synergy Maritime Holdings. So, you know, over the past 12 months uh, in dry bulk shipping, Charles, Dawkins, uh, Charles Dickens put it best it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us, we had nothing before. So, gentlemen, this this room is filled with with people looking uh, for answers and curious about what is happening and what has happened uh, to drive shipping. So with that, uh, let's dive in. Now, over the past, 12 months or so, 24 months, you've seen a lot of volatility in rates, especially levels now being back to where they were kind of at early 2016, which was pretty much the bottom of the market. Cape size rates having been hit the hardest, smaller asset classes also trading much lower. So this downtrend happened back in maybe December, well before Volley Dam failures and other things. So John, I'll start with you if you can kind of give us a brief summary with what happened here over the past few months uh, to push the rates so low.
1: Okay, well I think, <clears throat>
0: I'll come back to this, but I think it's
1: kind of hard to ignore the, uh, the valley situation being a black swan event. But if you, if you take a step back and we look at uh, fourth quarter of last year, um, which certainly did not materialize um, in the cape Side sector as strong as, uh, as everyone had hoped, I think the minor bulks actually performed pretty well. But we saw, um, because of where the price of iron ore, the high quality price of iron ore went, we saw inventory draws rather than than imports in in the fourth quarter. Um, So rates actually wound up peaking last year more in the middle part of the year than what would be traditionally uh, towards the end of the year. But I think what we're seeing right now in first quarter, I, th- I think you have to first uh, you know, go with the normal assumption that we always see a slowdown in the first quarter because of weather issues. Um, we don't see inventory restocking in the first quarter. We have Chinese New Year that typically shows a, s- shows a slowdown. And we have a- an increase in new building deliveries. So I think if you take all of that, putting Valley aside, that pushed rates down. Now having said that, January actually held up pretty well. We were still at $14,000, $15,000 a day on average for uh, for cape size rates. And then unfortunately, I, I know you were looking for other events, but you can't ignore Valley. I mean, that, that was the, the black swan event, which has uh, pushed rates down below $4,000 on capes today. The good news is we've seen a rebound, um, which is very uh, predictable and typical on the minor bulk side as we've seen more Brazilian soybeans come into the market. We've seen coal shipments out of the U.S. resume going to India. Um, so that part of the sector we actually see continuing to recover um, as we get into, uh, into April and May.
0: Sure. All right, now there's been numerous periods of time where panamaxes have outperformed cape sizes such as the, the cases now. So can this last for more than a few months or will cape sizes always outperform Panamax's for any six month, 12 year, 12 month time frame. So, Polis, your company operates both Cape Sizes and panamaxes. so I'll, I'll
2: turn this one to you. Yeah, in a, in a normal market, uh, we expect uh, Cape size to up outperform uh, uh, panamaxes by 50% at least. In a good market, could be double. Uh, now, we don't know, the first half of the year, I think that uh, panamaxes will be better than uh, Cape Size. I see Cape Size recovering in the second half of the year. Uh, ports uh, will reopen and some of the output that was uh, reduced uh, will come back into the market. Of course, we have also some uh, problems in Australia as well with uh, this uh, cyclone uh, two weeks ago, 10 days ago, that Rio a- announced some uh, reduction of output. Of course, this is increasing the prices, but with China issuing uh, better better uh, uh, news on its economy and on the on the PMIs. Uh, I hear today from some friends here. I haven't seen it. Uh, I'm optimistic that the demand will be there. So it's a matter if it's not done in the first half, it will be done on the on the second half. So I'm more optimistic on the second half than I used to be. Also, we know many ships will be in the yards fitting the scrubbers on the big ships. So I, I believe markets should uh, normalize in the second half for the big ships.
0: OK. Now, currently, the time charter market is saying that spot rate weakness will last for maybe one to three years, as you can see here. Time chart rates now at multi-year lows, uh, still above current, current spot rates. So Gary, Eagle Balk has some of its vessels on time charters, mostly on spot. Uh, what is your strategy for spot versus time charters in the coming quarters, and in how or why do you make those chartering decisions?
3: Yes, so notwithstanding the current volatility, we're, we're constructive on the market, particularly in the, in the, John mentioned the minor bulks, leading overall dry bulk demand, and, and we think supply is extremely interesting. Uh, again, in our segment, we expect just over 2% net supply, uh, fleet growth this year. And even even better next year. So because of that, you know, we don't we're not putting our ships out, and, and in general, we prefer to lock in revenue streams through using derivatives and, and contracts and maintaining the asset. Having said that, definitely with the volatility, as, as I've said many times, you know, it's a it's a volatile industry. We do lock in cash flows at various times in our last earnings calls. An example, notwithstanding the fact that in February we were below five thousand. You know, the second half of this year was trading around 11, and as a company, we go out and, and lock in some cash flows through selling derivatives, and we never do that, uh, what we call, we never take a naked derivative position to the market, but as a dynamic hedge, and when the market backs off right now, that second half of the market is is below 10.5, we may buy it back. So it's more, we, we consider ourselves a spot trader with the goal of outperforming the index. At some point, when we're not constructive on further upside in the market, we may take more you know, significant positions. But for for now, we're a spot player, again, with a view to outperform.
0: Sure. Now, Robert, you had a lot of time charters to kind of get you through the um, normal seasonal weakness, as John was alluding to. Is that something that is going to wind, unwind, and spot for the rest of the year, or are you looking at more of some coverage now with the kind of current volatility?
4: They pretty well, most of them unwind pretty well by the middle of May. Um, you know, traditionally, we've always sought to cover the, uh, first quarter in some form or another. Um, this year we put a higher percentage on, got lucky that way. Um, we will, there are some, in some cases, some pretty significant spreads right now of if you put ships out for three, four months. Mm. So we've put a couple of ships out, I think, for three, four months, at way above whatever the indexes are showing right now. Um, I would agree with Gary that the the actual market itself for the medium-sized, smaller-sized vessels is that we have and Gary has is is far more constructive sure. than what these graphs imply. Um, and in, in both cases, I mean, I would I would expect the the actual results of the companies to come out ahead of where those indexes are for those medium small ships. Know, and as to the future, I'd like to keep on. I think it's much easier to understand English literature, so if we, c- we can keep on that subject for the rest of the meeting, it'll be fine. Okay, Charles Dickens? Good. All
0: right. yeah. Sure. Uh, so, yes, focusing on dry bulk shipping demand, uh, the black swan, as John alluded to here. So, tragic incident, uh, Valley dam collapse early this year has led to a large disruption in iron ore mining in Brazil, iron ore exports out of the country, you know, nearly f- 93 million tons of Valley's capacity has been disrupted, um, Valley recently lowered its 2019 iron ore sales guidance by 50 to 75 million tons. So, Stomatus, uh, as a pure play cape size owner, what do you see as a catalyst to boost cape size rates in the interim or is it, so goes Vale, so goes the cape Size
5: market. Well, thank you. Um, first of all, it's very sad that um, another safety incident uh, happened in uh, Brazil with a severe loss of life. Um, this is the third time that this is happening. You had Samarco Marco a few years ago. Uh, now this is, of course, a very tragic event. But let us not forget uh, the Stella Daisy uh, incident that was also a vale chartered ship that was carrying um, iron ore on a very, very old... Um, converted uh, VLOC, so uh, it's very unfortunate, I think, that uh, safety and uh, loss of life should be the top priority, um, you know, in Brazil. Uh, and that being said, um, yes, of course, you need to make uh, the dams safer. Uh, these are basically dams that were constructed like 40 or 50 years ago from German uh, miner at the time. So. You know this is very tragic but the problem now is that what's going to happen with uh, the actual ships that are transporting the iron ore all these converted VLOCs they need to exit the market at a certain point because yes okay you have an incident in Brazil but at the same time you have uh, many ticking time bombs um, in the seas where you know human lives are being lost Mm -hmm. so that needs to change and that is going to be a very um, helpful factor uh, for safety of course but also for the rates now about Brazil, I think that currently we're going through the worst uh, possible phase where about 100 million tons of iron ore are being stopped uh, from production. Um, if you, I don't know who read the um, Vale's uh, earnings release a few days ago, but Vale made $40 of EBITDA per exported ton uh, in 2018 at approximately $18 per ton of transported uh, cost. So. You know, that's, that's a very helpful number to show you that uh, for every ton lost uh, from Brazil, there is a very heavy um, loss of revenues for the country. Vale is basically uh, a state-owned company, and at a certain point, they need to reopen uh, the exports and they need to restart uh, the production as quickly as possible because they're losing hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. So we're confident that sooner rather than later this is going to start, and uh, we also think that in the second half of the year, this is going to become a reality. Thanks.
0: All right, John, continuing on the iron ore theme, what is your outlook for Chinese iron ore imports? Will Australia be able to offset a lot of that Brazilian um, off uh, production, or will they just continue to kind of draw down inventories going forward?
1: I think it's going to be a little bit of both. I I mean, I think if you look at where you can potentially have increased uh, exports, you probably have maybe 20 to 25 million tons out of Australia. Unfortunately, that is a short-haul trade, so it's certainly not gonna make up for, uh, for the ton miles lost uh, coming out of Brazil. On the Brazilian front, you have uh, Anglo-American that's gonna be up to 15 to 18 million tons of, uh, of additional long-haul trade. That will be somewhat helpful. Um, I still think there's a question on the Vale front, how quickly they can get the uh, the Brucutu mine up and running, which is 30 million tons. Hopefully, that will happen. Uh, this year, I you know, I, I, I agree with, with Paulus. We're more constructive on the second half of the year than we, than we are on the first half, both from a seasonality standpoint. And I do think there'll be um, there will be some more clarity from Valley in terms of getting 2 up and running and probably shifting more production up to S11D. Having said that, I, uh, I'm not overly optimistic in terms of uh, br- the Brazilian iron ore trade this year, and I do think there also could be some additional volumes out of, uh, out of Canada. Um, and hopefully, as Stamatos was pointing out, we see some of these VLOCs continue to, uh, to be scrapped. We've seen, I think, three so far this year, and cape Side scrapping in general has, uh, has picked up. So. As we get into the latter part of the year, I'm, again, a little more constructive though. I'm, I can tell you right now I'm already looking forward to 2020 where we should have, again, a very low growth on the supply side and we should be back into the positive on, uh, on iron ore growth. Sure. All
0: right, Robert, how meaningful will Chinese and Indian coal imports be uh, to increase dry bulk shipping demand? You know, inventories remain. Relatively depleted. China seems to be turning away from coal. Um, India continues to push the private sector coal mining. Uh, so, can you touch on the coal demand?
4: Yeah, I mean they're going to be meaningful as an extra cargo, and um, but I think that you know we have to be a little bit careful. As yes, India is, is India is doing great as far as potential demand is going to come. Um, you know, China. You know, we have to. We have to watch a little bit in terms of that i mean coal's coal in that area that the part of it that for the energy is going to compete with lng that's going to be nicely priced there etc but i think that for for us uh, and, and companies like ours you know gary's company etc that have these you know smaller vessels that are really far more diversified i think we've had a pretty you know, a lot of good news actually come into the markets in the last couple of months. I mean, it would appear as if the US and China are are going to get some form of trade agreement together. It's clear that, you know, we felt all along that whether we look at the product markets, the crude markets and our dry markets, that the Chinese economy, you know, may have slowed its growth on a historical basis, but it's still growing and still growing quite actively and the surrounding areas of China, as importantly including India, are you know really doing very well. So I don't think that the you know there's a lot to look forward to in those small and medium sized vessels, especially if we have a trade agreement. Sure. So I, I know the focus as usual is on you know on these bigger ships but uh, there are two different worlds right now. You know, as, as Gary pointed out, the, the supply side on the small ships looks great. The demand side looks very favorable. There are no issues. It's very different to if you're sitting as a Cape owner right now.
0: Sure. Good segue there, I guess. Uh, Gary, obviously most of the focus has been on iron and coal. Uh, what is your outlook for uh, kind of the minor bulk, especially grain, soybean trades, and how has the U.S.-China uh, trade tensions impacted that soybean trade?
3: Yeah. So. I think, for, first of all, it, it's definitely affected it. Um, China's soybean imports last year were down around 8 million tons overall. But what we saw, U.S. exports were down 17 million tons. And so we saw Brazil shift selling more product to China. And then the U.S. Uh, backfilled to places, primarily Europe, more short haul. And so while the while overall, from a number standpoint, 8 million is million isn't, um, huge. We're talking about a market that was growing on an annualized basis since 2012 at around 10 percent. So we went from significant growth leading grain uh, you know, shipping to, to, to a drag. And then the other thing that happened, and this, this was part of that confluence of events that happened in fourth quarter, was that Brazilian beans tend to start moving around March and, and usually end midsummer. They, they definitely continued longer than that uh, because of the sales in, into, uh, into China. And then in fourth quarter, the U.S., that long-haul trade was just missing. So it was that confluence of lack of soybean trade in the U.S. Plus, plus a pullback in coal and the other seasonal effects that we talked about that really led to that decline on the, on the smaller mid-sized segment as well. The difference is we had a, we had a quick rebound. Um, come, you know, kind of early Jan- early February around when Chinese New Year was over. So, you know, we, we think uh, that grain is, is coming back, uh, is going to come back uh, and, and be very positive this year, um, whereas last year it was just a little bit better than 0%. Um, but, but clearly a, a, a deal with China and the U.S. will be very helpful. There's significant amount of soybeans you know, in that, that could be released and that would definitely be positive. But even without that, we have Brazil coming on stream now and, and there's been an early harvest, so we're, we're positive about that development as well.
0: Okay. Now switching gears to dry bulk shipping supply, starting with your respective fleets. You know, recent years, dry bulk companies have, have tend to focus on either the larger or the smaller, um, as a lot of you were alluding to. Uh, now, Synergy, obviously owning only cape sizes. So Stomatis, what are the pros and cons to fleet specialization?
5: Well, um, for us, um, you know, at the end of the day, dry bulk is dry bulk. And uh, yes, sometimes um, cape sizes perform, well, most of the times, cape sizes perform better than uh, the other sectors. And they indeed are dependent on um, fewer cargos in fewer countries. But at the end of the day, if the cape size suffer, then that eventually has a cascading <laughs> effect on the rest of um, the dry bulk. So as far as we're concerned, uh, you know, we are a company that, um, has only about 10 years of um, life. Um, we cannot, and I don't think that any company can say that uh, can offer any real uh, added value uh, operating smaller ships. I mean, everybody, I mean, there are like hundreds of companies operating Supra Maxis, Handy Maxis, uh, Kamsar Max and Panamaxes. but uh, you know, the last uh, 10 years, and especially the last five, we have uh, focused in the operation, commercial management and the technical management of the CAPES. And we have invested all of our resources there, not only financially, but also, you know, commercial and operational. Which, of course, at the end of the day, this is what counts. Uh, you know, when you when you are in a shipping company. So, uh, for us, it's very important to continue that, and we continue to see the fundamentals of the Cape size market uh, being uh, the most favourable among the other sectors. Of course, uh, black swan factors aside
3: sorry can, can i just comment because i i just have to disagree that you can't you, the comment that you can't add value you know um over and above particularly on the smaller sizes it's a much more opaque market i mentioned the use of derivatives contracts you know last year we called on 450 ports and so we are able to through various means arbitrage and i, I won't spend all the time here outperform and we have now for for eight quarters in a row which we benchmark our, our performance, so I do. I do not disagree that on the larger sizes, much more difficult, much more transparent market, fewer trade routes, but absolutely, um, active owner operating can create real value over and above index returns. Okay, thanks for that. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah. So now there are more than uh, let's see. Oh, we're going the wrong way. Um, more than two hundred new building Cape size Newcastle Max Valley Maxes on the order book. Uh, Twenty-three different shipyards. So, uh, John, any interest in renewing your fleet via some new buildings, or are you solely looking at second Um And if looking at new buildings, if you ordered it today, when could you get that delivered? Well, okay,
1: first of all, no on new buildings. Let's be very clear. No on new Everybody buildings. Everybody on this panel shares my, uh, my view on that. Um, look, I mean, today you're, you're really talking about a 2021 delivery um, if, if you were to order, which um, I would uh, – I would recommend highly against anyone ordering ships today. Um, I I would just to go back real quick to your previous question though, I would like to, you know, the concept of large ships versus small ships. um, You know, at Genco, we've actually taken a barbell approach to this. You know, we have more than half of our ships are actually on the minor bulks, So the, the Ultramax is all the way down to the handy size. And then we also have the exposure on the Cape size. The way we view it is from both a commercial standpoint, we can add a lot of value on the minor bulks um, with, with our new commercial platform, and we did in 2018. We beat the market by $600 a day on the minor bulks. That provides us with a fairly stable uh, income stream. We almost look at that as the ability to, to cover our, our commercial bank financing, whereas we also think it's very important, particularly in the capital markets, to have that high beta, that upside potential on the capes. And I think if you you look at um, the stocks that have the cape size exposure, while they may not look that great right now from a valuation standpoint, the reality is those stocks have shot up um, because of that cape size volatility where the companies that are really just focused on some of the smaller sizes go from here to here there 's just very little volatility, so if you want to play the cycle, I think you have to have the larger ships in your in your portfolio. Having said that, we like the direct exposure of iron ore all the way down to the minor bulks with a mixed fleet yeah.
0: now during a <coughs> slight charter rate recovery, uh, new build ordering was substantial in two thousand and thirteen and fourteen uh, during the spot rate downturn in fifteen and sixteen pretty slowed pretty significantly so with that, new building has grown meaningfully over the past two years, and so Robert, what has caused or allowed for this recent ordering resurgence? Is financing that easily available? I know you've been pretty active in the sale and leaseback market, so I'll let you start.
4: I think you should go back to the previous slide. Okay. Uh, uh, the new building and ordering is really only happening in th- this is a very generous slide to the cape Size Newcastle Max and Valley Max owners because the size of vessel being ordered in 2009 to 2012 is much smaller than the size of vessel being ordered from 18, 19 and 20 here. And I think Gary is 100% right that you've got a greater chance of outperforming an index in the smaller vessels than you have in in the larger vessels, and it really is bifurcated. So the, for want of a better phrase, the sex appeal historically was all, all those Cape-sized vessels. And the markets did go up and stocks did go up on anticipation of great beta and great volatility as the Cape-sized market moved out. And that then resulted in a series of orders. Even the market just forgot about 2016 pretty quickly and started ordering ships. And they started ordering bigger and bigger ships. So one of the other factors here is you have, you, know, you have a real bifurcated market on supply. There hasn't been that much ordering of new ultramaxes and supermaxes. Sure.
0: All right, looking at the <coughs> opposite end uh, of run, fleet run, if, you know, row, go ahead, Samantha.
5: I kind of disagree with that. I mean, right now you have 260 ultramaxes on order for 19 and 20 deliveries. And you have all together about 300 Kamsar Maxes and Panamax to be delivered in 19 and 20. So the total combined is 550 ships that are going to be delivered in 19 and 20. But, but ships isn't
4: places. ships isn't the measurement that should be used. The, the the measurement that should be used is dead weight over yes. dead weight in each category, not number of ships in each category. Because the number of ships, when you put the invention of Valley Vaxes and Newcastle Maxes put on a cape size position those ships are much much bigger
5: that's actually not the correct point because on total you have for valley and cape sizes 56 million deadweight tons on order while you have 46 million deadweight tons that are 2002 2003 and older than that so you know the new building all this new building spree (coughs) on all this uneconomical and i'm not sure whether all these contracts now that Vale has five billion dollars of cash Tied up with various things, I'm not sure whether Vale will be able to perform on all these contracts. But assuming that they do, you know, it's 56 versus 46 that needs to be scrapped. It's the flow. I
4: think. I I think the point is that the, the moderator was trying to talk about was the different sectors of the positions, and on the one side, in the smaller vessels, you have a highly diversified demand side that is clearly growing. That you're not dependent on one trade, one commodity, or A couple of countries and a couple of trade routes where it is possible, and here, you know, here I will use Gary and Eagle as the as the proof here, rather than talk our own book. That is very clear that a that a company that is able to operate and manage fleet, et cetera, et cetera, is able to outperform the index, and I would expect that to continue in a consistent manner, as opposed to and has a new building order book going forwards that isn't that much of <coughs> <at> the topical <coughs> supply position. And you have another one at the moment that is dependent upon you know one country in demand, China, two supply areas, Australia and and Brazil. Basically you, it depends on one commodity mm-hmm. to function. That commodity and that that trade right now is in a lot of trouble. And it's unfortunately is happening into the teeth of a delivery schedule that's coming that was formed off the back of the optimism in 16 and 17. Hmm. So I simply think that the smaller vessels are going to be outperforming those larger vessels.
0: We'll come back to this debate at the end. Um, Paulus, uh, I promise we will. Um, looking at the opposite of fleet growth, scrapping has averaged about 26 million deadweight tons per year from 2011 to 16. 30 million deadweights tons were scrapped in 2016. Obviously, in 2017, they got cut in half to 15 million deadweight tons. 2018, basically a record low, or at least since 2007, of 4 million deadweight tons. This year's picked up a little bit, but what is, is kind of your scrapping assumption for 2019, 2020, looking at where rates are, looking at steel prices, looking at ballast water treatment, IMO 2020, all of the above?
2: Yes, I think scrapping is is the big factor that will help the market at the end of the day, and I tend to agree with the prospect of the Cape size market that is far brighter as far as scrapping is concerned. The fleet is older on the Cape size. I will agree to that. It's a very fair comment. Traditionally, over the years, the big ships are the ones that made the big money, and of course they are very volatile. When the market is not good, they suffer a lot. So companies who opted to order smaller ships over the years, they did it more for safety reasons. You know, uh, it's a little bit more speculative game on the Cape size market because it's mainly one commodity, 80% one commodity, 20% the coal, the coal uh, business. And it's either you make a fortune or you lose a lot of money. But if you are losing a lot of money, the more you lose the faster the market will correct because of the older ships going for scrap i'm hearing traditional greek ship owners scrapping now cape sizes of 2000 2001 built ahead of time simply because at 17 and a half years old you have to pass intermediate survey which is like special survey at this age you had to fit the ballast water treatment plan and you have to face with a, with an economical ship the IMO a uh, new regulation on uh, sulfur cap, which means you have to burn more expensive oil uh, on a heavy consumption vessel. So I tend to agree with uh, Stamatis uh, that that uh, Cape Sides have uh, will have a very good uh, future. Uh, maybe they are suffering now, but as soon as these problems out of Brazil are sorted out in the second half of the year, and with uh, so many capes in the yards fitting scrubbers, the younger capes, and some of the older ones ne- have to be scrapped because of all these regulations. Uh, I think that the capes will uh, recover meaningfully in the second half and we'll see better market in twenty and twenty one. Generally I'm optimistic about the market because also the the trade war should stabilize or finish at a certain part. Uh, we have elections in the. US next uh, October. Uh, surely Mr. Trump uh, wants to be re-elected and surely he has to get the economy going again. Uh, interest rates have come down and will uh, and, uh, will uh, keep under control. No, no, no hikes for 2019 are expected by the majority of banks. This will extend the business cycle will not finish in 2021 it could go another two, 1 or 2 years longer this gives me reasons for optimism if we didn't have as uh, john said the chinese new year the new buildings plus the valley effect this year i, I wouldn't see why Cape size wouldn't have been in uh, april or may at 20000 dollars a day in the spot market they could easily go there in a matter of uh, weeks. I think the scrapping will be bigger on the Cape size, and this will save the day at the end of the day.
0: Perfect. All right, let's jump to IMO <coughs> 2020. Um, so, with that, you know, all of you are installing scrubbers. Um, some of it, all of your fleet. Some of it, a few vessels on your fleet. So, uh, John, if you want to kind of start. Last year, you maybe questioned a little bit the availability of HSFo at smaller ports. Had at this point last year, had no vessels um, to no scrubbers ordered, now you're putting scrubbers on all of your CAPE sizes but not your smaller vessels. So if you want to touch on some of that kind of strategy um, and maybe HSFO fuel availability, um, your thought process between the HSFO, VLSFO trade, the spread, a um, lot of questions. Go for it. Okay. I'll take some of it because I'm sure these guys want to want to
1: say as well. But uh, So yes, we are, uh, we are putting scrubbers on our 17 CAPE size. We, um, we are, at least at this point, not putting it on, on the smaller ships, and, and the reason is simple. When we look at the payback period on a cape-sized vessel, it's about a year basis, a $200 fuel spread. Um, to us, that's a, uh, that's a very good hedge, where, because sev- our 17 capes make, make up about 40 percent of our total fuel uh, over, over a year time period. On the smaller ships, you know, based on a $200 spread, depending on, uh, on trading patterns, you have payback periods of anywhere from three to four years. And As we looked at it, we just felt that that was a little too long. We still think there are a lot of questions on what the spread is going to be. Um, I think in terms of availability of fuel, certainly uh, the, the large ports will have HSFO available. Um, and, uh, and I don't have an answer on the small reports yet. I still think we're a quarter or two away from knowing what, what each individual port is, is really going to, uh, to do. And, I'm, and I will also say, you know, it, it, we're, do, we're doing it on the CAPES, and from an environmental standpoint, we actually think the scrubber, um, the installing scrubbers on ships, from an air pollution standpoint, is, is a much better solution than even burning uh, compliant fuel. Um, but unfortunately, on the smaller ships, we, we couldn't get quite comfortable with the longer payback period.
0: Sure, Robert, uh, you're putting scrubbers on all of your vessels, or I guess all of your owned uh, Scorpio bulkers, Ultramaxes, Campsermax. Um I guess give the other side of the debate there. John says no on the smaller ones. You're putting them on all of them.
4: Well we have the option to put it on all of our ships um, and to be exact that's not fully decided but, but we will anyway you know have some on some of the smaller ones regardless of what happens but I think it's a question of optionality I mean we, we, we see all these customers we see all the product tanker refiners from the Scorpio tanker side because we, Scorpio tanks are the largest product tanker owner in the world. And all we really know is there's going to be chaos ahead, real chaos. I mean, already those customers, when they talk to us on contracts in the, in the tanker side, are indicating that they're not even sure about how we're going to do this, et cetera, et cetera. That it's, it, the whole thing is, is a big game of you know, wait and see poker at the moment, because it costs more to refine the low sulfur fuel. And while people at the moment aren't buying it because they don't need to use it, you don't really want to, to, to refine a whole bunch of this stuff today and just keep it in storage somewhere and pay high storage costs. So everybody's going to try and game this and leave it to as, as last minute before they start taking and transporting this, this low-sulfur fuel around the world to these multiple ports that there are. And if you just think about what you've heard today, I think Gary, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, said you, said you went to 450 ports last year. Mm-hmm. That's 450 ports that are going to need some capability of bunk- bunkering just there. So the whole idea is that I think the paybacks in the scrubbers are probably underestimated, because the spreads are going to be wider than what people think, because there's really no buyer of um, the heavy fuel. It's got to go down and compete not just with coal but LNG if you're going to use it for electric to start with. And then there's going to be areas where you're going to have mismatches of probably the high-sulfur p- fuel. But some of these places may actually have run low on that fuel. So you may have waiting days for ships to fill up with the high-sulfur fuel. Right. So to us, the scrubber part is just is an option.
0: In one minute, Gary, if you can kind of touch on that as well, and also your at-sea installation process. Yeah,
3: you- <laughs> all in one minute. Okay. Yeah, I mean, f- first of all, I think I understand why you, in isolation, say I'll put it on a cape-size cape uh, cape vessel, burns more fuel, installation cost is a bit more, but I understand that. But what's interesting dynamic is that in the mid-size segment, we expect less than 10% penetration. So the competition... F- between capesized ships will be almost non-existent and you have the opportunity to trade the vessels especially as an active owner operator on trade routes where they spend more time at sea it's not the average it's what you do with that ship given, given. so once you have a scrubber fitted vessel you'll trade around the main bunkering ports in terms of availability sure I don't believe heavy fuel will be available at a lot of the smaller ports we go to but those scrubber fitted ships will naturally Go towards areas where there won't be deviation, where they won't have to carry additional cargo. So there's a lot of, of application once there's a scrubber on a ship. And again, I think that low penetration is really interesting. In terms of the at sea installation, I mean, it, it was simply a, a, a calculation that spending roughly half the time in port um... to install a scrubber and then there's additional cost we have eight people on a riding team that go on effectively the ship comes in we have prefabricated a funnel and scrubber cut off the old funnel lift on the new one cut a sea chest and then the ship sails out with eight people who effectively connect all the equipment over the next uh, number of weeks and then the ship gets commissioned clearly there's additional cost with that and some of it comes down to what is what is the savings in off hire time relative to the incremental cost. That's the, that's the calculus behind it. Um, and, and so that's in, that's in one minute.
0: <laughs> Perfect. All right, last question. I'm going to let everyone answer. So if I, unfortunately not me, but maybe an investor, gave you $50 million in cash, what would you do with it today? You had to spend it today. You have four options. Buy vessels, order scrubbers, pay down debt, Repurchase shares. So I'm gonna start with polis and come all the way this way. Robert I'm giving you extra time so you don't say Scorpio tankers. So starting with polis one of those four options $50 million. Go.
2: I think uh, more scrubbers. More scrubbers.
5: Love the sensitivity of it. Combination of uh, buying more capes at these levels now that the values are going down, plus of course uh, deleveraging a little bit. Deleveraging capes. Go.
1: Well, if you're just handing me $50 million, I would probably go and buy most of these companies up here. Um, All these companies are trading at a massive discount to NAV, and I know we're running out of time, but the the reality is we are now in a situation where Valley has quantified what the issue is, right? All of that is now priced into these stocks. They're all trading terribly, in my view, from a valuation standpoint. So I, I, I think there's some very compelling values. And the way I look at this now, The the downsides in there's only upside. I mean when you have capes at $3,000 a day Sure, they can go to a thousand, but they can't go much lower So there's only upside and and I would I'd probably buy almost all these stocks on the panel Excellent. Before John bought us
3: I'd I'd go out and and order more more scrubbers Uh, We've already ordered 37, but I think one caveat is to have them installed by January 1st 2020 when we believe the fuel spreads and and, uh, the volatility will be greatest
4: Okay, Robert, one of the four options. Well, they, we've cut them down so much now because we've already got the scrubbers. Okay. We're already the largest holder of Scorpio tankers. So I guess buying our own stock is what's left. There you go, <laughs> buying salt. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Alright, well that's it for me. Thank you all
0: again. All and right. Absolutely, yeah. So scrubber questions, um, pull this, for example. You know, you're putting them on most of your larger vessels, not all. If you want to give a little um, two-minute kind of strategy for why you're doing that. And, and you just said you'd put more scrubbers on if you had $50 million more.
2: Yes. First of all, first of all, uh, we took the decision according to the uh, liquidity we had in the company last year. So we, we had a good market last year. We made a good profit last year. And uh, after three terrible years, so we thought that we can easily afford, without he- taking uh, much finance, to install about half the fleet. Obviously, the, the easy part is to you go on the on the post Panamaxes that they burn 28, 29 tons a day, instead of going to the eco Panamaxes, wh- which burn ten tons less. So that was uh, the simple uh, Mathematics, and also we avoid installing on the ships that they were approaching 15 years old because you have less time to make to make something out of it. I'm I'm uh, very optimistic that it w- will work nicely for all the type of vessels, the scrubber, because whether it's only 20 percent, 30 percent of capes that they are installing it, you will negoc- you will uh, compete with 30 percent of the market. That's all. On the smaller sizes is even even better, you compete with the five percent of the market. But on the capes, I think is a better prospect with the scrubber cape because the 30% of the market that will have scrubber will create a market of its own. So you will be competing in a market that will be a real market. In our sizes, it will be a little bit more difficult because the ninety-five percent of the ships they will not have scrubbers. So we will have to to convince the other side and obviously the other side they will try to get a cut a cut into into the scrubber benefit. So there of course a company should elect to work the vessels in the spot market, preferably on voyage basis, where the owner can get the hundred percent of the benefit and not share it with people who haven't invested in it. So I think that uh, companies who moved early, and mostly it was listed companies, they were brave and they did the right thing. It is a regulation that we all knew it would come into 2020. We knew it since 10 years ago. Nobody acted on it simply because I think we were busy with other things, and also the scrubbers were very expensive. In 2018, the prices of scrubbers started coming off, became more reasonable. People are complaining now about. Uh, environment we are hearing companies that all their life they were not very friendly to the environment they had older ships they have suddenly become ultra sensitive about open loop scrubbers for something that nobody yet knows if there is any effect or not the IMO has approved this uh, type of uh, scrubbers let them work and we see in five six years if this scrubbers should be withdrawn and replaced with something else you know I mean that when uh, the full uh, analysis and all the data are known, three, four years down the road, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens uh, next. But overall, I'm very optimistic about this, uh, this uh, regulation.
0: So Mattis, quickly to you, you have 10 CAPE sizes, five on charter, five on spot, the five on charter you're putting scrubbers on. Uh, was that you, uh, you know, pursuing the charterer? Were they asking you for that? Kind of discuss your strategy.
5: Well, uh, it is of course a liquidity, Uh, a very heavy investment uh, to install the scrubbers and uh, given that the market today is at three and a half thousand dollars a day i think it's (laughs) kind of surreal to have this discussion about premium and all that yes you may have a couple of thousand more but this has been untested so as a company we decided to take a more uh, innovative approach Uh, we did it in cooperation with the charter so we are not paying for the scrubbers we are not paying for the installation and we're not paying um, you know for the equipment and we're actually getting a reimbursed of the off hire period. So we decided on the ships, on 50% of the fleet, that we will install the scrubbers, not to pay for the scrubbers. So, you know, and on top of that, we also have a profit setting element. So, above a certain spread level, we're getting a profit back. So, this is the kind of approach that Synergy took on that.
0: Thanks. Robert has. Uh,
4: I, I, th- I think the most simplest thing here is if you had a whole bunch of customers up here, the customers would tell you it's, they just prefer ships with scrubbers. I mean, they're willing to pay for it. They're willing to pay for it in tankers. They're willing to pay for it in product tankers. And they're willing to pay for it already in DryBok. Excellent. Thank you again.